If you have your Bibles, won't you raise them up good and high this morning because we're about to dive into the Word of God. I'm glad that you have your Bible with you this morning. You can take it and turn to Isaiah chapter 9. William Wright, it is good to see you, my brother. We have been missing you and praying for you. And uh, William has been in the hospital several times over the last few weeks, and it's good to have you back with us. Isaiah chapter 9 this morning. In the mid-1800s, William Chatterton Dix, he wrote a song that causes us to ponder the incarnation of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, and pointing out to us that on the first Christmas, God sent a package to this earth that we've sung about this this morning, it was a, a package that was a gift of deity wrapped up in humanity. And, of course, we know the song, we've sung it this time of year, What Child Is This, Who Laid to Rest on Mary's Lap is Sleeping, Whom Angels Greet with Anthems Sweet, While the Shepherds Watch are Keeping. And then notice this line, This, this is Christ the King. Whom shepherds guard and angels sing, haste, haste, to bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. This, this babe was both the son of Mary and Christ the King, the son of God. Long before Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem, it was prophesied that he would come. It was prophesied that he would, he would be the Messiah. As far back as Genesis chapter 3, it was prophesied that a, a Messiah would come And he would crush Satan. And as we continue to read throughout the Old Testament, it is very obvious to us who the Messiah is. All of the Old Testament messianic prophecies point to one person, and that is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In fact, as we read and study history, we understand that history is really his story. It is the story of Jesus all the way from Genesis to Revelation. It all points to Jesus Christ. And with that in mind, I want us today to go back 700 years prior to the birth of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem to a prophecy given by Isaiah. If you're able to stand for the reading of God's word, do so. And we'll just read two familiar verses by way of introduction. And then we'll look at the verses around them this morning But let's read together. It's on the screen. uh, Verses 6 and 7. Let's read it together aloud. Ready? For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Father, again, as we open up your word, we ask that you speak to us through your word today. We surrender ourselves underneath its authority in our life today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this is one of the most 
classic prophecies of the incarnation of Jesus, it's important for us to understand not just these two verses, but the context in which these verses were given, and also the culture in which it was given to us. And I want to just share with you three things this morning from this text. And the first is this, that it is a prophecy that came in the midst of a profane society. It is important for us to understand the setting in which this prophecy is given to us. And the day and and age in which Isaiah makes this prophecy is a day much like the day and age in which you and I live. The, The context is of this prophecy came from Isaiah during a very dark time spiritually. And this was a message that the people of God, that those who believed in Yahweh, those who believed in God, they needed to be reminded of that God is, is still on the throne, that God is still sovereignly in control. And it also was a message that the ungodly needed to be assured that there was available light to them in the very dark day in which they were living. So I want you to look back, just look back to chapter 8 real quick, and I want you to look at verses 19 through 22. As Isaiah describes for us the time, the society in which he lives, he says, Behold, I and the children whom the Lord hath given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth in Mount Zion. And when they shall say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep, and that mutter, should not a people seek unto their God? These are the, the lost people trying to draw even God's people into their, their occult worship, saying, Shouldn't, should not a people seek unto their God for the living to the dead, using these, these mediums, these wizards? Notice verse 20, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. In other words, they're looking, they're looking to Satan, they're looking for the ways of the world. And he says, if this is true, if they have neglected the testimony of God and the law of God, it is because there is no light in them. And they shall pass through it, hardly bestead and hungry. And it shall come to pass that when they shall be hungry, they shall fret themselves and curse their king and their God and look upward. And they shall look unto the earth. Does this not describe our society today? They shall look to the earth and behold trouble and darkness, dimness and anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. Now, the setting of this prophecy is given to us in 2 Kings chapter number 16, and it is when Ahaz is the king. He is a wicked king. He is a king who has introduced idolatry to Israel. He is a a, a king who has embraced and encouraged children being sacrificed to false gods. It is demonic activity that is wrapped in religious, religious ceremony. And Ahaz had shut the door of the temple. He had barred it closed and left the whole temple to go to decay and waste. Under him, true worship of God was extinguished. It was put out. And you know that if true worship is eliminated, what happens? Satan will be sure to bring false worship in, won't he? 
And naturally, that's what happened. I want you to be reminded today, and we talked about this in our our faith group this morning, that although idolatry may look different today than it did in the Old Testament, that idolatry is still very much a part of the society in which we live. In fact, idolatry is even brought in now to mainstream Christianity churches, and I use that term lightly, but it's even brought into churches because anything that we place as worship above God and anything that we put in the place of God's Word and accept into our lives that the Word of God stands against is idolatry. Anything that takes the place of God, whether it be money or self or success, it is idolatry. So like today, Israel was fooling around with everything except God, trying everything without God. And consequently, they fell right into the trap of Satan, who is the God of this world. And I want you to understand this morning that it is against this backdrop, it is against this very dark society that Israel gives this prophecy. It is in a very dark time that he gives them this this moment, this glimpse of hope that we just read a while ago, that there is the glorious coming of a child who is the Savior who is going to be born into the world. And notice in verse number 19 that we see a warning to the people of God that these who have accepted idolatry, that they will attempt to get the people of God to engage with mediums and with wizards. Brother Chris mentioned this a little bit on this past Wednesday night, but in our world today, the kingdom of darkness is, is expanding with spiritism and the occult. It has even, as I mentioned, crept into quote-unquote churches. And the result of that is that we today, much like the society in which Isaiah was making this prophecy, that we live in a society of darkness. We live in a society that is defined by crime and by lust and deceit and moral depravity and suicide and war and homosexuality and drug and alcohol addiction. And I could go on and on, but I, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know this, that we live today in a dark world. A dark world. It was the same dark society in which Isaiah made this prophecy There is a need in our dark world, just as there was in this time, for a message of good news, a message of hope in a society that appears to be hopeless. And why is the world in this shape? Look at verse number 20. They had forsaken the law and the testimony of God. They have turned their back on Scripture. They had kicked the Scripture and the Word of God to the curb. They had said, we no longer need this. And they began to bring in other absolutes that began to define, as we talked about this morning, their worldview and how they viewed life and how they viewed eternity. And they allowed something other than the Word of God to define how they lived life. Listen, church. The Word of God must remain our standard for all that we believe and practice in this life. And the darker that our society is, the more vocal we need to be that we stand upon the B-I-B-L-E, the Word of God. We stand upon the Bible. This is our absolute authority. And and here we see that they no longer uh, listen to the Word of God And the result of that, in verse number 21, is despair. And in their despair, they look up and they curse God. 
And again, I'm not trying to be a pessimist this morning, but you and I live in a society that has basically looked to God and cursed him and said, we no longer need you in our lives. We no longer need you defining for us what we do and do not do. We have cursed God. We've removed God from our society. And the result is absolute despair, just as it was here. And if you've eliminated God, where do you look? We'll look at verse number 22. To the earth. They stopped looking at God and they began to look at the earth. And what is found when you look at a sin-tainted earth? What are you going to see? Verse 22, behold, trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. So it's this dark world that Isaiah speaks to. And he says, unto you, a a baby is going to come. Unto you, a son is going to be given. It is in this dark world in which you and I live that preachers need to stand in pulpits and proclaim that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. It is in this dark society that you and I this morning need to leave here and we need to go into our workplaces. And this week is a wonderful opportunity as everybody's minds and hearts and they're all thinking about Christmas that we remind them that it is more, more than just about presence and more than just about family, but it is about the Son of God who left the glories of heaven and came to this earth and gave his life on a cross for you and I and rose victorious from the grave so that we could have eternal life. This is the setting. This is the setting of the prophecy. It was a profane society, but notice secondly that it was a prophecy that announced a promised salvation. We see this in the first five verses of chapter 9 before he comes to the very familiar verses that we just read in 6 and 7. In verses 1 and 2, he says, Nevertheless, referencing the darkness, aren't you glad that after the description of how bad the society is, that there is a nevertheless? Aren't you glad today that even though our society is dark, that there is a nevertheless? Nevertheless, Jesus came. He says in verse number one, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Isaiah gives them hope, although he reminds them of the darkness, although he reminds them of the despair. He also reminds them of promised salvation, promised deliverance. He's saying, in essence, in verse number one, you're in a mess, you are in anguish. But there's coming a time when the gloom will be over. There's coming a time when the distress is going to end for those who will put their trust and their faith in the Messiah named Jesus. Again, he's leading up to this prophecy, this proclamation, this declaration in verse 6. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. He's leading them to this hope. What a wonderful prophecy 
The picture of misery is going to dissolve and the light is going to break through. Don't, don't overlook the places that are mentioned. And I would encourage you maybe to circle them in verse number 1. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Where is this? This is Galilee. This is what we were talking about last Sunday when we talked about Jesus beginning his earthly ministry as we were studying Mark, that it is in Galilee. And it's important to this prophecy uh, because Matthew, in his description of this, reminds us of the fulfillment of this, this prophecy. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. Listen carefully to what Matthew writes. Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. If you remember, this is where we've we've been studying in in Mark chapter 1, same setting. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast, in the borders of what? Zebulun and Naphtali. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What is Matthew doing? What what is Jesus doing? He is reminding them that the prophecy that was given 700 years before Jesus was ever born in Bethlehem was speaking of Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ had fulfilled this very prophecy. In the darkness there is light. Verse 2, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. John would write in uh, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, speaking of Jesus Christ, that was the true light. Jesus was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. So today, even in a dark day, we can lift our voices then, can't we, in hope. We can sing songs like we sing this time of year. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. In the midst of despair. And by the way, that song is not as much talking about the first coming of Jesus Christ as it is talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I want to remind us there is joy today. There is peace in our hearts because Jesus came once to this earth to be our substitute for sin, but he is also coming again one day to receive us unto himself. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. And I love this little phrase, let every heart prepare him room. Does he have a place in your heart? Does Jesus have a, have a place in your heart today? Have you trusted in him and him alone for salvation? I want you to notice the third thing this morning and the last thing. Not only is it a profane society in which this prophecy is given and a promised salvation of hope, But thirdly, we see a perfect Savior. This is a prophecy that that announced a perfect Savior. In Judges, in in our faith group, we have been studying all the Judges and how they are human Saviors. But there is one thing very different from them than from our Savior. And the big difference is, is that our Savior is the sinless Son of God. Our Savior 
is the one who left the glories of heaven. And this verse, verse number 6, as we break it down, I want you to see the richness of what Isaiah is trying to get across. As he says, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called, say them with me, Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Unusual titles for a baby, aren't they? But this is not just another baby. What child is this? This is not just another child. This is the Son of God, the perfect Savior. Notice he says, first of all, a child is born. This speaks of his humanity. A child is born. Mary is going to conceive. The Virgin Mary is going to conceive and give birth to this child. He was human. He took on flesh. I love how Paul puts it in Philippians chapter 2. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself, I'm sorry, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, notice, and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of death. Next verse, please. I'm, I'm going by the screen, so you're going to tell me. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. It shows us his humanity that he took up on humanists. Galatians 4, 4 says this, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son. Notice, made or born of a woman, made under the law. Why is this important? Why is it important for us to know that he took on humanity? He took on humanity And as we talked about in Mark chapter 1, he was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. He is able to be sympathetic with us. He is faithful. He is a faithful and sympathetic high priest. He had to become man to bear man's sin. He had to become man to feel man's pain. He was a man, but he was more than just a man. Unto us. A child is born, but notice secondly, unto us a son is given. Given by who? Given by God. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He was not only man, he was God. He had to be man to bear man's sin. But he had to be God to defeat sin and death. Isaiah seven fourteen, Another prophecy 700 years before Jesus came says this. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name. What? Emmanuel. Emmanuel means what? God. God with us. And that is who Jesus is. That is who he was. That is who he is. When he came to this earth, he came and God dwelt among us. He was God in human form. When Jesus hung on the cross, you remember that God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. No, this was not just the son of a virgin Mary, humanly speaking. It was the son of God. The virgin born Holy Spirit conceived son of God. 
It is he who is light in the darkness. It is he who is the hope that shatters our our despair. This born child, this given son, he is the perfect one of God. And he's the only hope for our dark world. He's the only hope. His perfections are indicated by his name given here. Wonderful Counselor. The mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And I want to just mention them this morning. The first, uh, the first thing I want you to see is that he is a wonderful counselor. And these words are not separated in the original Hebrew. They go together. He is a wonderful counselor. In other words, he is a wonder of a counselor. This word wonderful is similar to the word awesome. It has lost its grip it has lost its meaning through time when you used to speak of awe and awesome it was only in reference to deity it was only in reference to god now everything is awesome your haircut is awesome your shoes are awesome we've lost the meaning of it and the same is true with wonderful we've lost the meaning of it He says he is a a wonder of a counselor. In other words, there is no one like him. We, We live in a world that is constantly seeking for counsel, constantly seeking for wisdom, constantly wondering what do we do. But we we need wisdom, we need advice, we need counsel. And listen, I'm all for getting the help that we need, and I'm all for reading the books that we need, as long as they point us to the wonder of counselors. The wonder of counselors is none other than Jesus Christ, the son that was given. Are you looking for a counselor who has all the answers? Wouldn't that be great? You do. His name is Jesus. He is a wonderful counselor. And maybe today you're struggling and you're wondering, God, what do I do? I want to I encourage you, before you go anywhere else, go to the wonder of counselors. Go to the wonder of counselors. Secondly, not only is he wonderful counselor, but he's the mighty God. In other words, he not only can tell you what you need to do, he can enable you to do it. He is the mighty God, El Shaddai, and the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of us. The the God in uh, in the form of the Holy Spirit who guides us and directs us and empowers us to live under the control of the Holy Spirit. This born child, this given son, God's unspeakable gift, is given to us to express his power. Let me remind you this morning that he is capable of defeating sin he is capable of destroying satan he is capable of snatching men out of hell this is his power he is capable of healing he is capable of raising the dead he is capable of answering prayer and listen when you put your faith and trust in him this is what you get wonderful counselor the mighty god Aren't you thankful that you don't have to live in this dark world in your own power? Aren't you glad that you don't have to live all the commands of this this book in our own strength, in our own power, but we have the mighty God living in us? There is a child who was born, not just a baby that we stick on the front of a postcard and we mail out to people. 
but he is the living son of God who is faithful and wonderful. He is our counselor. He is a mighty God. Then notice thirdly, the everlasting father. He is both a son and a father. This speaks to the never-ending care of Jesus for his children. Do you know that he loves you like none other? Do you know that this son who was given to us, if we will put our faith in him, that he is also our caring, loving father? Everlasting father. You see, Jesus Christ fathers eternal life for those who believe in him. He is to you and to me who receive him the source of everlasting life. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. Whosoever believes in Jesus Christ, he is the giver of everlasting life. He is the everlasting father. This is no ordinary baby. Why? Because he holds eternity in his hands. John 1.1 says he was in the beginning with God. He was in the beginning of creation. When he came to this earth in Bethlehem, that's not when he came into existence. He has always been. He was in the beginning with God. And as John says, he was God. He is God. This gentle babe is the father of eternity. And then lastly, it calls him the prince of peace. And it says in his kingdom is peace. The Bible tells us, first of all, that Jesus brings peace between man and God. Did you know that sin interrupted the peace that we had with God? How many of you in here, you were born a sinner? Would you raise your hand? Some of you are lying. That's all right. We know better. You know that if you were born a sinner, that you are the enemy of God? There's no peace between you and God. There's only one thing that can give you peace with God, and that is the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. Listen to what Romans 5 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, you put your faith in Jesus. What happens? We have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only pathway to peace by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So if you want peace with God, listen, there's only one way, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Also, not only does he provide peace with God, but he gives us peace in our hearts. Not only do we have peace With God, we can have the peace of God. Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds, how? Through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. And then, as Isaiah points out, he also brings peace into a coming kingdom. Jesus comes again someday to bring a kingdom of peace where he will reign as prince and king. Look at verse number 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. And the church ought to say, Amen. Amen. He is bringing a kingdom of peace. 
upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. Paul says in Ephesians 2.14, he is our peace. He is our peace. Isn't this what people really want for Christmas? Wisdom? The right answers? Wise counsel? The power to overcome? The power to be victorious? The hope of eternal life? To have peace in their hearts? It's no accident that Jesus' names fulfill every desire of man. He is the desire of nations, isn't he? He is what men yearn for. He is the wonderful counselor for every decision that you have to make. He is the mighty God who can take you out and snatch you out of every trial and make it a victory. He is the everlasting Father who gives and provides eternal life. He is the Prince of Peace who not only plants peace within our hearts but makes peace between us and God eternally and will bring you and I eternally forever and ever and ever into a kingdom of peace only through Jesus Christ. Isaiah speaking in a very dark day. A very dark day. Idolatry all around. The sacrifice of children all around. Everywhere he turned, it was dark and bleak. But he says, unto us, unto us. Aren't you thankful for the us? Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. His name is Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. What child is this? He is the perfect Savior of the world. He came into this earth for one reason, and we must never separate. Listen, we should never, ever only separate the birth of Jesus because, as we will see tonight, Jesus was born for one reason, to die for you and I. He was born to die. Those little soft hands, they were born to have nails put through them for you and I. He was born to die so that he could take away the sins of the world. His name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. This is the babe that we worship this morning. He is also wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Let's bow our heads this morning. If there's never been a time in your life where you have turned from your sin or you have turned from your faith in religion and began a personal relationship with, G- with God through Jesus Christ, then I want to ask you this morning if you will accept the gift, the greatest gift ever given to mankind is described in John 3.16, that God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus. That whosoever believeth in him, you will not have to perish, but you will have eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. There was a man in John chapter 3. He was a religious man, a very religious man, and he had done all the things of the law. 
But he came to Jesus and he says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? I've done all of these things. I've kept all the rules. And Jesus said this unto him, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born again. You have a physical birth, but you must have a spiritual birth. We do that by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone. It's not about the rituals. It's not about communion. It's it's not about any of that. We do those things to remember the sacrifice that He made for us, but those things won't save you. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord for salvation shall be saved. If you believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead, that He was buried, that He died, that He rose from the dead, you believe that in your heart, you confess it with your mouth, Romans 10, 9 and 10, you will be saved. If you've never done that, would you this morning just say, would you pray for me? And I won't embarrass you, I won't call you out, but you can't remember a time in your life where you have called out, confessed your faith in Jesus Christ, turned from sin or religion, and put your faith in Jesus alone. Would you just raise your hand and say, that's me, I can't remember a time when I've done that see that hand. Anyone else? See that hand and that hand. Anyone else this morning? I can't remember a time when I've done that. Listen, I'm going to ask you right now, if you would like to accept that gift, you can do it right now where you're seated, right there in your seat. You can trust Jesus. He says, if you believe in your heart that Jesus died and rose again, if you believe that and you confess it with your mouth, you will be saved. He says, today is the day of salvation. If you've never done that, you can do it today, right now, right where you're sitting. And I want to help you do that. I want to lead you in a prayer of faith to Jesus Christ. And listen, the words alone won't save you. But if you will say these words or similar words and mean them from your heart, from your heart to God, if you will say them according to the word of God, according to Romans 10, 9, and 10, he will save you right now where you sit. You would like to do that. You would say something like this, God, I know I'm a sinner. And I know that I come short of salvation in myself. But today, I accept the gift of salvation. I believe Jesus Christ came to this earth, lived a sinless life. I believe he died for me. I believe he rose from the grave. And today I'm putting my faith not in religion, but in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Come into my life into my heart save me I pray be merciful to me and I give you my heart and my life